Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. We're going to continue our sermon series on tables. We um, come to our eighth table today in our sermon series, and we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the ten tables that Jesus sits at. And today we come to table number eight, and what we're doing is we're, we're looking at these tables that Jesus sits at so we can learn more about who Jesus is, and each one of these different tables show us something of who Jesus is. Today we're going to read what's commonly referred to as the Last Supper. And the Last Supper, of course, is the last table that Jesus sits at before his crucifixion on the night of his arrest. And as you can imagine, there's a whole lot happening at this table, a whole lot happening. Um, I have a, a picture to show you of a famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. I want to say Leonardo DiCaprio every time I say that name, and I'm sure he would paint this beautifully too, but this one's done by Leonardo da Vinci. And there's a few interesting facts about this painting. This was painted on a dining room hall wall in a convent in Italy in 1495. And 50 years later, what happened is the paint started to chip and peel off, off the wall. And, and they had several failed uh, restoration attempts. In 1652, the convent decided they needed another door into this fellowship hall, so they built a door right here underneath where Jesus' feet would probably be. They probably thought, hey, this is a beautiful painting, but it's chipped and everything. We need a door. How about we put it right here? <laughs> you know, little did they know this would be like one of the most reproduced paintings in, in the world, right, in history. And they built this door. Um, in 1980, they had actually about a 20-year restoration project that was successful. And so this is, today, it's one of the most reproduced paintings in the world. And da Vinci, when he painted this, he attempted to capture the moment when Jesus told his disciples that one of them was about to betray him. And as you can imagine, that made for a pretty intense dinner table. It made for a pretty intense meal. And when you read about it, this table in the Gospels, which we'll do in a moment, you can almost feel the tension and the, the temperature in the room rising. And everyone in the room at this point, when Jesus is sharing this, dropping this news, everyone is becoming anxious. And we're told in the gospel, which we'll read in just a second, that they start questioning themselves and each other. Who is it? Am I the one? Is it this guy sitting next? He's got to look about him. Is it him, Jesus? And you have to understand that these disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus for the last three and a half years. They'd given up everything, their careers, their occupations, their homes, their, their families, their friends, their neighbors, everything. And they knew that the religious leaders were out to get Jesus. They were trying to get rid of Jesus. But they, they could not have imagined one of their own might betray him, might be involved. And they're trying to, to take all this information in, and they're starting to imagine what would the future look like if Jesus was, was no longer in the picture. John Mark Comer describes anxiety this way, imagining the future without Jesus in it. That, he says anxiety is, is, is just, if we're going to simplify it down to one thing, it's, just, it's imagining the future 
without Jesus in it. And that's exactly what the disciples do at this table. They're told this news, and they're like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. One of us is betraying him. Everyone's trying to, to, to the religious leaders are trying to do away with him. One of us is involved. What's the future going to look like without Jesus in it? And one of the things we're going to notice today as we read this story is how Jesus, in turn, becomes a non-anxious presence for them. You know what I mean by a non-anxious presence? It, it, a non-anxious presence is someone who, who's able to fully be present without getting caught up in the raw emotion swirling around in other people, right? A non-anxious presence is able to, sh- to show care and empathy and concern without getting swept up into the whirlwind. I remember um, six years ago, my son Josh was 12 years old, and my son Josh has, has, has special needs, and he had a big surgery planned. He had, he had scoliosis of the spine, so his spine was really curved, and it was twisting kind of his, his rib cage, and he didn't have room for all of his, his internal organs that were growing. And we had to wait for him to turn 12 before he could get this spinal fusion surgery, where we had to put two metal rods on his spine about a, a foot long in his spine to kind of straighten, and he actually grew, I think, almost two inches after this surgery because his spine was straightened. But it was a really intense surgery, and it was about nine hours from beginning to end. We went to Dartmouth Hospital in New Hampshire, and my wife and I were incredibly anxious, right? Um, just one of the reasons we were anxious is because my son, although he was 12, he, he couldn't comprehend what was about to happen, even if we told him, hey, this is a surgery, this is what, he, he wouldn't have been able to comprehend that. So we knew that he was going to wake up being like, what is going on, right? So there's anxiety there. There's also anxiety when, when your son goes into surgery for nine hours and you're, and you're just in the hospital, right? You're just waiting. So we were super anxious, and some friends of ours surprisingly showed up to the hospital. They texted us, hey, we're in the garage. Is it okay if we come in? We don't want to force our way in, but if you want someone to, to sit with you, we'd love to come in. We're like, yeah, come in. We're super anxious. <laughs> and they came in, and they had brought food, and they spent a few hours with us and, and, and um, prayed with us. They laughed with us. Like, they just, just spent time with us. We ate together. And, and I can tell you that when they were there, all the anxiety that was swirling around in me and my wife, they somehow were able not to get swept up in that. They were a non-anxious presence for us, right? They were able to, like, step into our emotional storm without being impacted by it and actually bring some calm to us. Have you ever had someone be a non-anxious presence for you, right? Where they were able to, to be with you without getting caught up in the turbulence of the emotions that you were experiencing or the anxiety. Um, that is such a gift, isn't it? It's such a gift when that happens for us. And, and most of us instinctively avoid people's pain and trauma, right? Because it in turn makes us anxious, right? Have you ever noticed when you're around an anxious person or someone who's going through pain or hardship, you're kind of like, I don't know what to, to say. And, and we avoid it because it in turn brings anxiety up in us. But someone who, who's a non-anxious presence has the ability to step into that emotional turbulence and be calm and be present and, 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 and not allow those swirling winds to like affect and impact them. And Jesus was a master at this. And he does this for his disciples at the table. Um, so we're going to take a look at this table. We're going to read from the Gospel of Luke about this table. And I want to point out to you three ways that Jesus becomes a non-anxious presence for his disciples and also how we can, 
as followers of Jesus, how we can become an, out, allow Jesus to become a non-anxious presence in our own lives. Okay, so I'm going to invite Sarah Jane up, and she's going to read our passage for us today. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 14. So when they sit down to this meal, Jesus drops this bombshell on them, that one of you will betray me, and nothing could have prepared them for this. Matthew's gospel, which we didn't read from, says that they were all greatly distressed. They're imagining, again, they're imagining the future without Jesus in it. And they're experiencing an emotional tornado. We're told that Jesus himself felt the hurricane-force winds of this moment, that, that John's gospel tells us that Jesus was deeply troubled when he shared this with his disciples. One translation says Jesus was shaken in his spirit. Have you ever felt shaken in your spirit before? Have you ever felt greatly distressed by some news that you discovered? And what's amazing here is Jesus, even though he's feeling the force of these hurricane winds, he's not afraid of that. He, He creates space for it. He knew that the news he was bringing to his disciples would would cause emotional shockwaves. He himself would feel the effects of it. Yet, somehow Jesus is able to resist being swept up in anxiety. He's able to become this non-anxious presence for them. So let's let's look at three ways that he's able to do that in this text and also just ways that that we can allow Jesus to become a non-anxious presence for us. The first way Jesus becomes a non-anxious presence at this table is how he responds to Judas, the person who would betray him. The disciples are, are wondering who, who this person was, which one of us is the betrayer. And in John's gospel, John chapter 13, verse 26, it, it tells us this, that when Jesus recognized that they were all being anxious about who, who is it, Jesus says this, it is the one to whom I give the bread, I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. That sounds dramatic, right? The suspense of Jesus taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the bowl. And he's like, who, who, which one of you? And then it goes to commercial break and he comes back and it does it again. Which one of you? And, and you, you wonder, like, why did Jesus do this? Was he trying to be dramatic? Was he, was he trying to, like, make them even more anxious? Well, you have to understand that it, w- it was customary during this time for a host to, to scoop out the, the, the choicest part of the meal, the bowl, and to offer it to one of his honored guests. This was a way for a host to, to, to honor a guest, to make a guest of honor. Right, And so this was Jesus making Judas, the one who's going to betray him, his guest of honor. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would do? Now He knew Judas was going to betray him. He's the one who I, who, I, who I dip the bread in and give it to. That's my guest of honor, but also the one who's going to betray me. And we fast forward. After Judas takes the bread, Jesus tells him, go and do what you need to do. Jesus knows what's about to happen. A couple hours later, Jesus and the rest of the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and who shows up? Judas, with an entourage of the religious authorities and a Roman guard to arrest Jesus. And Matthew's gospel tells us this, that the first word Jesus says to Judas is, friend, do what you came here to do. 
it's amazing to me that this happens because he doesn't get irate with Judas or belittle him or call him names. He calls him friend. Talk about being a non-anxious presence, right? That the one who's betraying him, Jesus, turns to him and says, friend, do what you came to do. And there's something I can't shake when I consider this part of the Last Supper story. Because I think there's a lot of times when you and I walk away from Jesus to go our own way, um, where we assume that Jesus is going to write us off. He's going to forget about us. Right? Maybe we messed up. Maybe we just like walked away from Jesus for a bit because we really wanted to go our own way and, and, and not, not follow him and, and his way. And we, we just make this assumption that Jesus is, is probably done with us. He's going to write us off and forget us, about us. But the portrait of Jesus we find here shows us that that's not what Jesus does when we fail him. He calls us friend. Right? He calls us friend, and, and, and all we have to do is respond to that with repentance and turn back to him. Here's a question for you this morning. What if one of the ways Jesus wants to become a non-anxious presence in your life is to remind you that even when you're not being a good disciple, he still calls you friend? What if one of the ways that Jesus wants to show up and be a non-anxious presence in your life is that when, when you do fail him, when you do walk away and go your own way, that, that Jesus is there to call you friend. See, I think a lot of times as Christians, like, none of us are perfect, right? We, we sin and mess up all the time. We go our own way all the time. And, and a lot of times we can get, condemn ourselves and be like, well, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. I, I stink at this. I'm terrible at following him. And it's true. We are, right? But it doesn't depend on our righteousness. It depends on his. And, 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 we, and he's there, always reaching out, saying, friend, friend. What if that's one way that Jesus wants to show up in our lives as a non-anxious presence? Because I think a lot of times we get anxious about that. So I feel with anxiety, like, man, can I even do this Christian thing? I'm just not very good at it. You don't have to be, right? Because Jesus calls you friend. The second way that Jesus becomes a non-anxious presence at this table is he assures them that he's for them. Look at these verses. Verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. When he broke it in pieces, he gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He's essentially telling his disciples here that what's about to happen, painful as it'll be, is part of the plan. I'm giving myself for you. The cross is going to be for your benefit because through the cross, I'm going to free you and all of creation from sin and death. Now, he, he, Jesus is breaking this news to them of, about his betrayal and what's about to happen at a Passover meal. Have you all heard of Passover before? It's significant. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, what we find is the Hebrew people were enslaved in, in bondage and oppressed by Egypt. And God sends various plagues so Pharaoh would release the Hebrew people from, from bondage. 
And with each plague, Pharaoh's heart just gets harder, and he refuses to free the Hebrew people until the very last plague, where God allows the angel of death to pass over. And God gives specific instructions to Moses about something called a Passover meal, right? Where households, what they were to do, they were to have a meal together and and they were to take a a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish, and and eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And they were to take some of the lamb's blood and apply it outside their doorposts so that when death came by, it would see the blood of the lamb and pass over them. That's where you get the term Passover, right? Death passed over. And so when Jesus takes the bread and the cup here, he's telling his disciples, I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the one who's going to to give myself for you so that death will pass over you. Again, like he's he's being a non-anxious presence for them by telling them, hey, hey, I am for you. And I wonder how many of us need to hear that news today. Because we just think, you know, there's times in our lives when nobody's for us, right? You're just trying to claw and scrape and get by, and you feel like you're all on your own. And, and some of us need to hear that Jesus is for us. That everything he, he, he did, everything he does is for us. That's the portrait the, this Last Supper paints of Jesus. The third way Jesus becomes a non-anxious presence, again, the first way is he calls his friend. He becomes a non-anxious presence in our lives and his disciples' lives by calling them friend. Secondly, he, he reminds them that he's for them. And then the third way that Jesus becomes a non-anxious presence is he promises to be with them. Let's read these verses. Luke twenty-two sixteen. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. See, Jesus is essentially telling his disciples this, that I'm going to the cross, but this isn't goodbye. We are going to eat and drink together again in God's kingdom. And of course, he's referring to what the book of Revelation chapter 19 calls the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? When, when we're, we're all going to feast and celebrate how God made all things new and set the world right again through Jesus. And, and what Jesus is really telling the disciples here is, you don't have to imagine the future without me in it. We are going to be together again. It's not going to feel like it. I'm going to go to my Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's not going to feel like it, but we are going to be together again. He even tells his disciples when he ascends to heaven after his resurrection that I am with you to the very end. And I can't help but wonder if some of us need to hear that. That maybe one of the ways Jesus wants to be a non-anxious presence in our life is, is to hear the words from Jesus like, hey, I'm with you. You're my friend. I'm for you. We're going to be together. I love Matthew's gospel account of this story, which includes this bit, that after Jesus gives them the bread and the cup, it says this, then they sang a hymn together. Isn't that great? Like 12 people in a room with Jesus, and they, Judas takes off, so now it's just the 12 of them. right? And, and they're, they're eating the bread and the cup, and then... They sang a hymn together. 
See, I, I believe this, that when we, when we sing together on Sundays, it's not just filler. It, it's not just a warm-up to the sermon, like, okay, like, you know, we're on the second song, one more to go, and then we're, we're ready to go. We're all warmed up. Everyone who's coming late is here. We just have to buy this time with this music thing, the, the, the group karaoke, and then, and then we're ready for the sermon. Um, <laughs> listen, singing on Sundays is much, much more than that. It, it's an opportunity to anchor our hope in Jesus. Right? It, it's to remind ourselves that he's going to finish the redemptive work that he started. That is a, is a, it's a time for us to remind ourselves that Jesus is, is with us. And he's for us. And we wor- when we worship Jesus through song... What we're really doing is we're allowing him to become a non-anxious presence in our lives. If, if, if you look at the words that we sang today, you're allowing Jesus to become a non-anxious presence in your life. That's why we sing, right? To worship and glorify God for who he is, for all that he's done. And in so doing, what happens? Jesus becomes that non-anxious presence for us. And so... Before we, we pray and sing one last song together, I want to present two questions on the screen for you to consider. The first one is this. How have you been imagining the future without Jesus in it? How have you been imagining the future without Jesus in it? And the second question, where do you need Jesus to become a non-anxious presence in your life? Take a moment to reflect and consider your life. Where right now, today, do you need Jesus to become a non-anxious presence in your life? Maybe you need to hear him call you his friend. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know why I'm coming. I'm a terrible follower of Jesus. I didn't even read my Bible a lot this week. I, I, I said some rude things. I had some lustful thoughts. I just, I'm just a failure at this. I don't even know why I'm going, but I'm, but I'm going. And you're here today, and you just need to hear Jesus say, friend, I got this. And respond to that invitation with repentance. And he's always faithful to forgive and to welcome you back as friend. He did, Jesus said this, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. He's not trying to condemn you. He wants to save you. He calls you friend. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to hear that he's for you. You feel like you're all on your own, that nobody's looking out for you. And, and you need to hear Jesus say, hey, that anxiety in your heart that you're feeling right now that nobody's, I'm for you. Maybe you need to hear these with you. You're just feeling lonely in your walk with God, like, man, I, I just don't sense Jesus. I've, I've been, been pressing in and going to church and reading the scripture and praying and, and serving other people, and I just don't feel that, 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 that Jesus is close to me and with me. Guess what? He's with you. The disciples were there too. Jesus gives them this promise, I'm with you, either the very end. Maybe today you need to sing the last song extra loud and anchor yourself in the hope of Jesus. Can I pray for us? Why don't we stand up and we'll invite the worship band up and I'll, I'll pray for us. Jesus, we confess that this table that we read about in Luke's gospel today, we find ourselves at it often. 
that there are all sorts of things that are anxiety-inducing in our lives. There are all kinds of opportunities where we imagine a future without you in it. Lord, we just confess that to you. That's just who we are, where we are. But, but God, we also just anchor our hope in who you are. That you're the one who can come into our emotional storm and you can be that non-anxious presence for us. I pray for my friends here who, who need to hear you call them friend. For the folks here who, who maybe feel like they've been failing at following you and, and, and you are right there inviting them to repentance and calling them friend. Lord, I pray for those who, who feel like they're, they're alone and, and separate from your presence. Lord, would you assure them with your words, I am with you. And finally, Lord, I pray for those who, who feel like they have nobody who's for them. Would you encourage them with your words that you are for them? Lord, I pray most of all that you would come into our anxiety, which we all carry, we all have, every one of us. And would you be, would, would you give us the courage to allow you to, to become a non-anxious presence? And as we continue to struggle, Lord, would you be there for us, that rock that we lean on, that we come to time and time again, that we're completely and utterly dependent on? And would you give us the, the um, humility to do that? Lord, we know that we'll sit at this table <laughs> where things are going to come up and, and we're going to be rocked. But Lord, we also know that you're faithful and that you're with us and you're for us and you call us friend. So remind us of that today, every day this week and going forward. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.